Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. I'm so glad you tuned in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Amy Graham about schools moving online. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Beth. Now, could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Yes, I've had a pretty varied background in education over the last 14 years. I've worked in a range of policy and political advisory roles as well as some classroom teaching myself. I realised that my real calling was research as it was where I could make the greatest difference. I received my first class honours into my research in perfectionism and parental goals and then last year I completed my PhD and in this thesis I explored what parents do to get their children ready to succeed at school. I did a mixed method study looking at the different beliefs and behaviours that parents hold and do before their child starts school. On the face of it, it might seem like this is a wildly different area of research to the one I'm now working on, but actually it reinforces the critical role that parents have in supporting their child's learning. And this time is really a chance for parents to engage with their child's education and continue their role as their first and forever teacher. In all of my research, I strive to keep a social justice focus and try to park my privilege and bias and look at what I can do to help every child reach their full potential. And that's what drew me to my current role as a postdoctoral research fellow with the Gonski Institute for Education. And I've worked there since July last year. Uh, and on a personal note, I have three wonderful children of my own who give me extra reason to try and make the education system even better. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And yeah, I have heard it said that children really get their their views and their beliefs from their parents rather than a school environment. Absolutely, I think that we conceive it as a partnership. But that's the best way to look at it. Each sort of sphere plays a different role in shaping a child's aspirations for their learning and their motivations and the effort that they put into their learning. So I think if we can see it as a really good chance to form a partnership between parents and schools, that's going to be a great way forward. Mm, yeah, it certainly would. So what was it that inspired you to study about schools moving online? Quite fortuitously, I had been working on a collaborative project growing up Digital Australia that is exploring children's use of media and digital devices and how this has changed in the last three to five years. We were all set to release the first phase of the results of the data collection with Australian teachers and principals when this COVID-19 pandemic took hold. So it's clear from these results that young people are not who they used to be and that digital connectivity for students can have positive and negative impacts and that these aren't experienced equally amongst all students. So 
So this project provided a really unique insight into what classrooms were like before this health crisis has changed the way education is offered. And now I'm thinking of ways that we can use this time as an opportunity to see what changes happen when learning moves online and into the homes of Australian families. Who does it work for and what are the barriers that need to be addressed before remote online learning is an option that caters to all students? Yeah, it's April 2020 and with the threat of the coronavirus, many private schools have already closed and most of the students attached to these schools would already have internet access and laptops at home, but a lot of the state school children don't have the same access. So could you explain about the digital divide? Mm. Um, many schools are already delivering learning online and some of these schools are further progressed along that journey than others. But certainly in most states now, the plans are being put in place to continue this into term two at least. Education will change for everyone. Traditionally, the digital divide's been used to describe the difference between the haves and the have-nots. So in Australia, we live in a pretty fortunate country, but still it's often the case that wealthier families have the resources to invest in digital technology that many poorer families cannot afford. So this gulf emerges between the groups. Now when you're looking at this being the main mode of educational delivery, the digital divide has significant implications for a child's learning outcomes. In moving to a fourth model of online learning, there is a chance that we will further amplify the existing divide and that students who were already disadvantaged at school will become locked out when this is their only option. But remote learning doesn't always need to mean hours on end of passive screen time, and there are plenty of ways that parents and teachers can facilitate active and meaningful learning opportunities that have greater reach beyond those students who only have a connected one-to-one -one device set up for schoolwork. Now, this is probably going to really affect children in remote areas because I know with my nephews and nieces, they lived in a, in a small country town in New South Wales and they, they didn't have any school of the air. But uh, this was going back quite a few years, but the, the Queen was actually going to visit around the area and they'd organised for her to speak to some children on school for the air. So very quickly they were issued with a, with a handset and all the equipment and before that they'd, they'd been going for years with, without anything and it sort of prompted more equipment to become available when it should have been available years before but I suppose there's, there's lots of children in remote areas and, and how is this going to affect them? Yeah, I guess students in learning in remote areas are obviously one of the, the key areas of concern, but they have both opportunities and advantages at this time, I think. We know that in many homes the access to technology and fast and reliable internet can be worse in remote areas. So if schools rely only on the real-time online delivery of education, then I think children in rural, regional and remote areas are going to be further left behind. But on the other hand, we also know that many of these students are resilient and motivated to learn without the bells and whistles of 
new devices. So it'll be an interesting one to watch. When you talked about the School of the Air, actually, my very first research project I worked on with Charles Darwin University was exploring interactive distance learning, much of which was done in remote Northern Territory in New South Wales through the Schools of the Air. And this project was really inspiring because of the innovative ways that teachers were adapting the school experience to cater for students with varying levels of connectivity, including some who were totally off the grid. And at this time, much of the learning was asynchronous and relied on back and forth teacher and student emails and mailed out resources that could take weeks to arrive and scheduled weekly lessons that students had to log in for or they would miss. So I think now we take for granted how much opportunity that synchronous technology affords us and just how digitally connected most of us actually are. Yes, I think that there, there's more to school than just learning your ABCs. I think the, what I think school is, is interaction with other children and it's where uh, I think a lot of children pick up social norms as well and I think that if children don't have that connection with children, even if it's over the internet or over school of the air, that could actually affect them quite badly. Mm. I think a real risk here is that social disintegration. If, if, you know, if there aren't creative ways put in place to try and keep kids in touch, whether it be with things like FaceTime or it could be a great time to, to get a pen pal. Yeah, it certainly could. Uh, how, do you think that this digital divide is likely to grow? In one word, yes. The obvious worry is for those students who don't have reliable internet or sufficient digital resources and equipment that they need. But access to technology and the availability of materials and devices is just one aspect to be considered in this digital divide. Many students stand to lose out if this is a one-size-fits-all online model, particularly those students who might lack the necessary resilience or learning strategies or capacity to learn in a more independent way. I worry for those students who are already disengaged from their learning and that were struggling even with a face-to-face -face teacher keeping them on task. I worry for students with disabilities and complex learning needs who require more intensive support and needed a teacher to differentiate the syllabus to help them succeed. And I really worry for students who are living in poverty or stress or traumatic circumstances or have parents who don't feel able to support their learning due to a whole range of factors. There's students who may have a screen-based device at home but it's been used as a source of entertainment or in problematic ways like for too much gaming or you know, a source of online bullying or harassment. That shift to using it predominantly for learning will be a, a steep one. And even in well-connected, stable homes with engaged, employed parents supporting their learning, students are going to be tested. They will likely need to share devices and internet capacity with siblings and parents who are working from home. So I think everyone is, you know, has something to, to be changed out of this, this social experiment. I guess my hope is that because we already have a good idea who is vulnerable in the education system, that teachers and curriculum authorities will work creatively to ensure that these students aren't further disadvantaged 
And I think key to that is how they adapt the learning program to meet the needs of individual students, which is a teacher's craft in and out of the classroom. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial. And I'm speaking with Dr Amy Graham about schools moving online. What type of responsibility do you think the government should take for this divide? Well, digital technology has great potential to provide children with the access to high-quality learning opportunities. But despite the government having a responsibility to provide every child with an equitable opportunity to learn, we know already that this is not the reality of children. We're not known as champions of equity in education in Australia. Ideally, the government would have addressed the ex existing inequities in education before thrusting every student into a model of learning that aren't equipped for. So I think the current infrastructure in schools will be tested as will the capacity of teachers to adapt quickly and the role of parents will be stretched even further to support their child's learning, you know, their other demands. So I think the government should observe carefully how resilient the schools, teachers and parents are during this crisis and going forward, you know, trust them and engage in some meaningful partnerships. But the solution is, is complex and now more than ever, we need to harness the potential that technology can offer so as schools are moving online, I think this certainly confirms there's little point in demonising devices. Need to teach children how to use these tools purposefully and responsibly and kindly. So this is where government investment should be, not on blanket of these in schools or homes. So I think the, gov the government has a very difficult job to do at the moment and I don't I don't envy their role but I think if they watch carefully how this is managed I think we could all grow out of this. Yeah well will it be that some children that uh, may have to repeat a year because of the classes moving online? I think most kids will be academic online and that this will be an inconvenient but not disruptive time Many children have well-established learning habits that can be continued at home or at the very least picked back up once schooling returns to semblance of normal. Also, I mean, among the OECD countries, we have some of the longest school days and Australian children spend more years in classrooms than other developed high-performing countries. So a short from the classroom isn't a disaster but I think we should be practical about what we do out of this change when schooling returns to normal. There will certainly be changes. We've already seen the cancellation of NAP plans, which I support because teacher time and resources at the moment should be directing to adapting their traditional ways of teaching and supporting students and families. I think the year that we need to watch carefully, and I, I really have before, is those students in their final year of schooling. It's already a stressful year with lots of strict timelines so it must be very distracting and disconcerting but I feel optimistic about how hard education departments are working to ensure these students are being supported and not further disadvantaged. Yes, yeah that's right I hadn't thought about you know children in their final year of school it's yeah it'd be an awful shock mm. <laughs> to sort of go online and have have that sort of major disruption and when it's 
you know, very difficult anyway. Look, I wanted to, to go back to something you said at the beginning, and it's about, about parents' role and uh, about children before they start school. Do you, do you think that there's a lot of benefits in, in having kindergartens? Because it's sort of kindergartens really can't go online, can they? Yes. I think, I mean, there's been the recent announcement about the move to childcare, but there was a little bit of confusion around whether that can included early learning centres and kindergartens and preschool years. I think that that's a very tricky year to manage because the programs are predominantly play-based. Much of the success of in the year is defined based on, you know, a child's social and emotional skills that you need to put them in different situations to, to watch them grow. I don't think there would be a lot of benefit with putting it online, but I guess that it is a great opportunity for parents to be able to, if they, if they can't send or choose not to send their child to kindergarten or preschool, I think it's a great year to reconnect with your child, bring back the play wherever you can and just let them be kids. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? I probably just want to reassure parents that this isn't a time to be feeling extra pressure or stress or that you have to become a homeschool teacher overnight. It is that great opportunity to see education a bit differently and have some time away from that formal schooling program that you're usually locked into and see it as an opportunity to really engage with your child's interest. The connection with your child is going to be far more important than sitting down doing a worksheet or doing fractions or having the latest app. So to set reasonable expectations of what can be achieved is probably my advice. I also think that we should, wherever we can, give latitude and autonomy to schools and parents to do things differently. So we're not going to return to how things were last year. There will certainly be changes even when schooling returns to some sort of normal. So I think having more autonomy and more individual say in how things go forward would be a great lesson out of this. And, you know, in the words of Plato, the great philosopher, necessity is the mother of invention. So I think there's great opportunities to conceive learning differently. Yes, I can understand a lot of parents would be quite overwhelmed with the situation anyway, but then sort of feeling, geez, you know, I've got to be able to homeschool my children. And there's a there's a course that you have to do, is that right, to homeschool children? The jurisdictions manage homeschooling. Mm. Jurisdictions manage um, formal homeschooling differently. But depending on where you are. But, yeah, there are certainly quite rigorous testing. It's not just something, it's not unschooling. You do have to follow quite a, a strict program. This is just, a, you know, I guess a short-term little tester of that. Uh, I think many parents will come out having a, a great deal of respect for their child's teacher after this. <laughs> so, yeah, I think just don't put the pressure on yourselves as parents. We've, we've all got enough to be managing. Many of us are working from home as well with children underfoot. A little break and letting kids play could, could actually be a really good thing. Yes, yeah, I did see somebody online who, they, they've got three or four children and with all of this going on, they said, look, 
I'm not even going to attempt to try and homeschool them. Uh, they're just going to have a have a break for a couple of months. And uh, fortunately, I think they're primary school age children. And she said, I'm I'm just letting them have fun and continue playing. And she said, I'll I'll see how it pans out in a couple of months. But and I, I thought that was that was actually quite a good attitude to have, rather than adding more stress to yourself by by trying to immediately homeschool when you know you don't have the the qualifications and you're already stressed anyway uh, it's sort of probably a lot more than a lot of people can handle isn't it absolutely and not a not a time to be applying those sorts of sources of pressure onto yourself no do you have any future study plans within this field yeah, so the Growing Up Digital project will continue this year and we're always going to and beyond with some data collection with parents and young people themselves about their digital media usage and physical, social and emotional wellbeing. That, um, you know, we may modify that slightly to try and match what's actually going on in homes now, but it's such an exciting to be researching a rapidly moving area and I feel really lucky to be a part of it. I'd like to also investigate some scalable and equitable solutions for remote learning so that we can prepare for when this happens again. Inevitably out of this time, some schools won't go back to the way things were before and might seek out alternative delivery models in a more permanent way. So I'm interested in finding out what kinds of support makes that transition easier for schools and children and families. Yeah, what, what type of support is in place at the moment for children who do have problems learning or have disabilities in remote areas? I think at a, at a school level there's lots of, lots of good initiatives taking place. I think at a, at a broader education department level perhaps there needs to be a specific focus on that and part of the opportunity out of time is to observe what kinds of things might work for them. Um, so there are a whole range of things I guess you could do do differently. And I know families that live permanently in remote areas, some of them do invest in home tutors if they have the, the resources. There's, you know, different funding programs to be able to get scholarships for devices to support learning. So a whole range of individual initiatives that go quite well. But at a systemic level, I think that's one of the areas that could be looked at yeah, yeah, that's right. And especially I think that one thing the government could do is to give a, a one-off grant to children who don't have laptops or any other devices at home to enable them to, to purchase these so that they can, they can go online. And even, even like a, a monthly sort of payment to help with the internet as well. I mean, there hasn't been... I haven't really heard of anything like this being said in the media, but I, I think it'd be really beneficial. Mm. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you, Beth. And I've been speaking with Dr Amy Graham about schools moving online. That's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought. Thank you.